You're listening to Cancer Covered. Cancer's been around as long as we have, more than 20,000 years, but we've only been able to treat it within the last century, and it was a bumpy start. In the late 1800s, with a radical mastectomy and crude radiation, it was as much mutilation as medicine. Chemotherapy achieved the first cancer remission in 1948, and though it only lasted six months, the research it inspired drove oncology from the fringe to a full-blown specialty by the early 1970s. And in 1976, a guy named Paul Cope moved to Green Bay to open a clinic. He was the first medical oncologist in northeastern Wisconsin. He had only six treatments and no partners, but he quickly got more of both. Today, the practice he started has 15 doctors and hundreds of drugs and radiation techniques at their disposal. More than 60,000 people have asked for their help. Without perspective, we can forget where we came from or how far we've gone. In this episode, we'll talk with the people who were there at the beginning and about how much changed in the span of a single career. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. I'm here with the founders of Green Bay Oncology, Dr. Paul Koch, Dr. Jerry Bayer, Dr. Skip McGovern, and Dr. Jules Blank. Medical oncology was a relatively new specialty uh, when you went into the field. Paul, uh, the board, if I remember correctly, was established in about 1973, and you opened the practice in about 1976. What led you to choose such a relatively new branch of medicine? Well, it was uh, an exciting branch. I, during internships, saw a lot of patients with uh, acute leukemia, and we would melt their lymph nodes away, and that fascinated me. Uh, first board exams were given in 1975. I came to uh, Green Bay, recruited by the hospitals uh, in 76, and then in 1977, I took the boards. Jerry, how did you choose medical oncology for a career? Well, in college, you know, I, I enjoyed organic chemistry and liked the biological sciences and quite interested in chemistry. And as a result of that, my interest was in, you know, in that type of a field. I wasn't a surgeon, that's for sure. But I did like uh, working with drugs, also working with people that really needed a great deal of help. And uh, I really became quite interested when I was in my residency uh, Akron General Hospital and had a really good hematologist who really, you know, spent a lot of time with me and got my interest even further. So then I went to Case Central Reserve and that was mainly hematology. That was a very strong uh, program in hematology. We had Dr. Ratnoff, who was really pretty famous for the cascade for uh, coagulation. He came up with Hageman factor. So, you know, uh, we were really strong in hematology. One of the really strengths of coming here is Paul was really strong in medical oncology, and my strengths were more in coagulation work and hematology, so we really had a good, I think, a good pair. When we started out, we had a, a desk where we were facing just like this. He was on one side, I was on the other side, and that was for the first three years. That was pretty, pretty nice. Skip, how did you decide to go into medical oncology? What led you to the field? Sort of by accident. Uh, <laughs> My background, as Jerry said, uh, is in chemistry, actually. That's my college degree. 
I did my medical school and my internal medicine residency. Didn't particularly care for oncology, frankly. I had to serve two years in the service at that point. So I was stationed at uh, Fort Huachuca in Arizona. I had the least seniority of the internists there. So I had to do the oncology. And quite honestly, I fell in love with it. I actually felt that I could make a difference. And so I left the Army and did a fellowship. Any particular standout cases that, that stuck in your mind or memorable stories as, as that you'd be comfortable recalling? I had a lot of experience, a lot of exposure, I should say, to individuals with breast cancer. Tamoxifen was new. You could actually see results and, and benefits. You could actually do something about people's pain. If somebody had a symptom, you could actually make a diagnosis. I found it a very attractive area to work in. Jules, how did you decide to go into medical oncology? It's very curious. Some of the things that Jerry and Skip have mentioned, I recapitulated what they did. I was very interested in chemistry when I went to school, and I will say this in public. Organic chemistry was my favorite course. Okay, don't laugh. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> but, but yes, uh, it was. So by the time I got to oncology and my internal medicine rotations, oncology was steeped in chemistry. So much to do with pharmacology, et cetera. I just found myself very attracted to it. You know, that was one of the things. The other curiosity was I also liked hematology with the coagulation cascade. I thought that was very fascinating how all these proteins fit together and then had an end result. But every time I went to do a hematology rotation, I would get oncology experience because they kind of grew up together. And after attempting to do hematology rotations three or four times, I thought, Oh, this oncology thing is very cool. And I just kind of fell into it by happenstance. It was very subtle. I didn't know it was going to sneak up on me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you never know what's going to stick until you try it for mm -hmm. a while. I mean, no one should carry the burden of cancer alone. A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com events. A little bit of fact checking about how many cancer drugs were available to you at the time? Well, there weren't very many, maybe six or eight. And we would get a new one about every five years. By the time I left practice, we were getting about five every year. When did the practice really start to grow? I would say it started to grow slowly. Uh, we used to have to go to these county society meetings, like in bars and so forth, we would advertise it. And we would tell what our college is because when we got here, the primary care physicians took care of their own patients a lot of times. They were still doing that internist. So it was an educational thing, but it grew slowly, I would say. The first years were slow growth. But after they saw what we were doing and they saw the interest, you know, the benefit in referring their patients and the way the field was moving a little faster, they didn't feel comfortable taking care of their patients, and we grew slowly at first. But then it accelerated, probably about four or five years after we got started. 
yes, it, it very well did accelerate. It got so busy that you know, it was very tiring. I remember uh, Jerry took the first two-week vacation, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and after that, we made a rule that we would only have one-week vacations after that. I can remember giving a lot of those shows where you took your medicine show on the road. I remember specifically going up to Lena, Wisconsin, to the Ocanto Medical Society, and there must have been four or five doctors in the Bavarian Inn. I set up my slideshow, and uh, the doctors were there, but it was held right in the middle of the bar. And the patrons were sitting on the stools drinking beer and watching my slide projections, and it was rather comical. Part physician, part salesman. Yes, yes. We, uh, we did a lot of entertaining of yeah. people as far as uh, shows. I remember, you know, when Jerry and I were there alone, we became the so-called experts, the TV people. Every time they had something, they would call up and mm -hmm. want to come in and interview you. And one time, though, uh, there was a school in town that had a couple of cases of acute leukemia. People were very frightened, and they asked us to come over and talk. And I remember the gymnasium was full, and we tried to calm nerves down and tell them that this wasn't a contagious problem, that no one else was going to get this, and that uh, it was a treatable disease. And we had a lot of experiences. The other thing is, uh, one of the other aspects of our starting out was giving talks you know every week we would have a, a conference up in the heritage room and i would be given a talk or paul would be given a talk uh, to introduce different aspects of oncology to the staff i think that was very helpful to get our practice going i would like to give a little background about these two gentlemen when i came to town in 1982 you have to understand that there was no hospice that all uh, hospice patients were hospitalized, that they took call every other night effectively for a long period of time, and we would have an in-house census of approximately 40 people that would need to be seen on a daily basis, many of whom were at the end of their lives but still needed to be seen. So these two gentlemen were totally exhausted when I came to town. There have always been more cancer patients than there are cancer doctors to care for them. But it wasn't until I asked about the typical workday back then that I got a clearer picture of how overburdened they were. How long did a typical workday go when it was just the two of you? I would be usually in the hospital around 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock at the latest, probably 6 o'clock. A lot of times they didn't get home until 8 o'clock. It was Jerry, a long day. Jerry always beat me to the hospital. He's an old farm boy, you know. So he, <laughs> he was always there at 6 in the morning. I'd roll in about 7. Is it true that in the early days of Green Bay Oncology that you all would regularly see patients in the hallway? Yes, we had a nice way of seeing patients quickly. We had a long hallway, and the patients that were receiving their so-called B shot for the month would sit in the hallway, they'd get their blood count done, and we would meet them in the hallway and say hello to them and say, your blood's very good, we're going to order your medicine, and it was very quick, and that's one way that we were able to see people quickly and keep it up. I would say that that is more of an invention of Henry Ford than Paul Koch. In what way? 
assembly line. <laughs> well, at that particular point in time, we had four examining rooms, which also doubled as our offices. So there were three physicians, four exam rooms, and far larger number of patients than we could cope with. Prior to these hall visits, uh, we started out off the emergency room. We had a small room that was about the size of this room. We were all over in there, and we would see patients in the emergency room. Sometimes we'd get the rooms, sometimes we wouldn't. But uh, that's how we started out before we got to the hall visits. So that came later. And what was call like? Well, we were on every other weekend, and we had every other night call for those three years. Was this... You'd get a periodic phone call maybe a few times a night? Or the, the problem is that when you got calls at that time, you had to go into the emergency room. Mm -hmm. it would, they were just getting the ER positions there when they got here. They were just beginning to do that. So we would come in and we'd be called all hours of the night. It was a long night sometimes. I was lucky that I was young at that time. I don't think I could do it today. I can recall having one of those midnight visits to the ER, and on my way home, I'm speeding, and the policeman pulls me over, and I tell him the story about the emergency room and so on. He says, well, if you don't slow down, you're going to have an emergency. So he let me off the hook and went home. I think that things were really hectic before Dr. McGovern got there. You know, we were kind of at our wit's end, and once he arrived, well, then it was splitting the work three ways, and that helped, but it didn't help for very long. We were all busy again. It took four years to get our next doctor in. One of the worst things that happened along that way was that Iron Mountain called up and said, say, we'd like to have you fellows come up and start a clinic. And so opportunity knocked, and we didn't want to refuse that, so we started sending a fellow up there every week, once a week. Well, the clinic got really busy up there, very busy over three years' time. And one time I went up there, and I had 63 patients that day. Now, you say, that's impossible. Yes, it is impossible. <laughs> And I'm not saying that people got the best care that day, but there were a couple things that helped. One was that we had a tumor board always in the morning, and I got to review all the slides and all the story on each patient. So I virtually knew what I was going to do with each one almost, uh, with a few exceptions, that day. I also did two bone marrows that day, nine new patients out of those 63. Of course, we had a lot of hall visits, which were nice, and the nurses certainly helped, but it was, it was a late night. Well, after that time, we decided that we were going to send two doctors up there on that given day each week. So then that left you with only one doctor in the hospitals, and it might be more than one hospital that you went to, and like Skip said you might have 30, 40 people in the hospital. So it was uh, really tough. And we always said that if those two guys had an accident on the way up there, they would die very quickly. But the guy back in Green Bay, he would die very slowly. If I remember right, our call started on Friday, didn't it? Was it work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? So it was like three days before the next guy came back on Monday. So that was a long, mm -hmm. long stint. The other thing was that, you know, you were pretty much, initially when we started taking call, you had to be at home or near a telephone. There were no cell phones at that time. So you really couldn't go on a golf course or go somewhere else. You know, you had to be near your phone. And that was, that was tough. 
Or if you went to your kid's soccer game, you took a roll of quarters with you because you'd get a page, you'd call the patient, you'd have to call the pharmacy, you'd have to call the patient back, and 75 cents later, you'd go back and see your son finish his soccer game. We did have a bag phone that came across uh, later in the practice, and I remember taking that to UWGB Phoenix games, and you couldn't hear a doggone thing in that arena with it. They had an interesting way of notifying people out on the golf course out near Denmark that uh, if the doctor got a call, they would shoot a shotgun off at the clubhouse, and that was a sign for the doctor to come in. It worked. Wow. You'd go to a soccer game. You'd have to drive to the local yeah, gas station, sell, uh, pay phone find the payphone, and you'd have to make several phone calls. It would the whole thing, the whole affair might take you twenty five minutes you or look so. Look up stuff in a phone book. Yeah. <laughs> so, for perspective, today Green Bay Oncology covers four hospital systems, four hospitals that they're responsible for making rounds on during the weekend, and several more outreach locations that at, at any one time, any patient, you know, any ER in any of those places uh, might call. Here's the difference. There are now two of us on call every weekend. We split up the rounds. And whenever I get a call from the emergency department, they will send the medical record number via secure text. I will look up the patient's medical record on the app on my phone if I happen to be watching my son play tennis or doing something with my daughter or what have you. Sometimes I will communicate via to the ER doctor that I'll just text them back and say, we'll be happy to admit this patient, and I'll enter the admission orders via my phone and then see the patient either later that night or in the morning. All the orders are there, and it's, it's a lot different. It's still a lot of calls. We get awakened very, very frequently. Uh, In-person attendance during the middle of the night is still necessary from time to time, but it's, it's a lot more rare. I mean, what a difference. I had one Christmas Eve that I was on call. I admitted three patients to the ICU, and then Next day, we had company for Christmas dinner. I fell asleep sitting up on the couch. All of the admissions that we made in the early times were in person. We all yeah. went to the hospital. We all saw the patient. We all did our exams. We all hand wrote our orders and went home. And they might call you later on with the lab data. The tradition of direct management of hospitalized oncology patients is still alive and well at all of the hospital sites where we had admitting privileges. And it's now so demanding that one physician is assigned strictly to inpatient work uh, during the course of a day. Usually that's me. You that's probably understand assignment. how rare that is, don't you? Uh, it's, other groups it's don't rare. do that. It's, it's pretty rare. You know, there are other trade-offs, but we still share the belief that the, you know, the nature of cancer care is, is such that it, it still needs a direct management of an oncologist. I mean, we, we have a great team of hospitalists at all the hospital sites we, we serve, but it's just so far outside their comfort zone. And it's, it's not comfortable for cancer patients when they're hospitalized and in crisis to have their care handed off. So we commit, you know, body and mind to, to still taking care of those those people. And it's strange. We have to make trade-offs in other places. But but it, it's uh, it's still something we really believe in. It's still the right thing to do, I think. I miss the small clinics that we had on the old clinic with the hall. Somebody would laugh, you'd all hear it. It just 
lifts you up. It just makes you feel good to hear people laughing. And I think in the environment that we worked in, I think it was the best medicine for us as the employees, both the physicians and the nurses and the secretaries, to just experience that. Do you miss that day to day? Absolutely. In retirement? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I miss, I miss the patients because this sounds bad. I used to have a really good time with my patients. Mm -hmm. I had the biggest file of jokes that they would bring in and I would file in my filing cabinet. We would laugh and whatever. I miss the staff because we would laugh and just have fun. Do I ever want to tell somebody they have pancreatic cancer again? No. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Music